patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everyone, and welcome to another episode of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Tylowski. Thank you all so much for joining me this week. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our email list because the soonest Ask Our Guest feature could be featured later this month in April 2022, and I hope that you will consider becoming a part of our list to have a chance to ask a question or more to future guests as they come along. Now make sure to check out last month's solo episode uh, for more details on the Ask Our Guest feature. Today's episode is a bit of an interesting one. I initially had some ideas on how to put together a solo episode for this month. Initially, the goal was to look at education, which is obviously one of the pillars, but more importantly, on our schools. And there's been a lot of talk about different school boards and really the role of school boards in our education system nowadays. And I was just thinking about any historical figures that I learned in school or just people who could really add to that conversation about the role of school boards. And I thought of a man named Horace Mann. Uh, Horace Mann is very well known within the history of public education in America. Mon is originally from Massachusetts, born in Franklin, Massachusetts on May 4th, 1796, and he lived until August 2nd, 1859. He was a staunch slavery abolitionist, um, highly, highly believed in changing the way that education was run, but he also wanted to expand educational opportunities to more people. He did briefly serve as a congressman from 1848 to 1853, serving for the 8th District of Massachusetts. And without getting too much into Mont's biography, I was trying to look for a work or a book or of some kind that he started or contributed. And I found this periodical series called The Common School Journal. And what this was is that this was essentially a a journal that focused on various different core values about public schools and really the issues that are coming along with it, whether it's on teaching methods or just how schools are run. Uh, these are these are very these were essentially huge huge proposals for reform. It was unlike anything that a lot of people thought of. So Mon was very, very critical in pushing for a brand, almost like a revolution, if you like, of thinking, not necessarily on the changing of the schools in practice, because that obviously took a long time. And you could argue that there's certain things that we're still working on when it comes to making public education more accessible or more reflective of what an education should look like. But I wasn't really familiar with this work called the Common School Journal. And so I looked it up on Google. I find, found a 
an online version of it. And and this is one of those archival sites where you can't search for a common term. You can't really search for keywords. So I really just went in cold. And I was looking, I was reading through, and this is very, very interesting stuff. I'll link that down in the show notes below for all of you to take a look at if you're interested. But it contains all kinds of editorials of different quotes and passages and research and commentary. It's just, it's very interesting. Uh, I wouldn't say I personally agree with everything, right? But just like in almost any work out there, you're going to have some things that you're not going to agree with. But no, nevertheless, it is a very, very interesting piece of intellectual work. And I thought, well, since I have honestly have no idea what I'm doing, and <laughs> I don't know anything about this journal, really, I know Horace Mann, but that's about it. And you know, if there were Amazon reviews at the time in the 1850s, I certainly would have had a much easier time looking for things. But I decided, okay, I'm going to do what I think is actually great, probably great exercise for any kind of historic work, which is as long as people know a little bit about it, just find a random page, not even care what it says, maybe do a few times, and just read a, a passage, find out some more context, but just go for it. Throw a Hail Mary in historic literature. And that's exactly what I did. I just... Took I just hovered my mouse over a part of the book and I just clicked on it. I did a few times, but I decided, okay, I'm going to do this one last time because I couldn't find anything that I think could really put put some context or elevate the topic that I wanted to bring up, which I'll reveal in just a few minutes. And so I just okay, one last time, I clicked on a part of the book and I found a passage that I thought was very unique and very interesting. I'd like to share that with you today. Now, to give you some context on what this passage is, like I said, it, this is really a collection of different writings. Uh, Horace Mann, well, he might have been very, very uh, heroic on the reforms and the proposals that he has. He probably didn't have enough time to write every single word of this, but he was able to get a lot of different teachers and parents and I'm guessing even students. I haven't read through the entire journal. It's it's a few hundred pages long, uh, but he did get a lot of testimony from different teachers. And this one passage I found is on the subject of the phonetic method of teaching, which essentially is getting kids to learn the alphabet and then really starting to learn how to piece together those letters to create words. That apparently was a very big t- moment in the history of teaching or a groundbreaking way of teaching kids how to read and write and speak. And this report or in this section here that I'm about to read to you is from a report by someone named Miss Emily R. Baxter, who is a primary school teacher in Boston. And she had delivered this report to the primary school committee possibly considering like different testimonies on what teachers liked and didn't like about different reforms or maybe some just some commentary on what was happening in the school board. And I like to read a passage to you and, and they explain what the that connection is going to be for this episode and really for the times that we are living right now. And she's a teacher in Boston and she's saying how she used to struggle a lot with teaching how kids how to be engaged in school, not just learning the phonics or learning the words, learning the English language. 
because you can have a goal like, okay, I want to teach a kid English, but she had a hard time making them concentrate, really want to learn. And so she, she tried this phonetic method of teaching. And in her experience, she found that kids were having that internal motivation to want to go to school, uh, even having trouble sending kids home because they really wanted to learn. And I want to read this paragraph to you from Miss Baxter, a teacher from Massachusetts. Quote, what then is the charm of this new system? For it certainly possesses one for the young mind. It is its truthfulness. All children love truth. And every step the child takes in this system is a sure one. What he has learned has not to be unlearned. And so smooth and gradual is the path by which he climbs the hill of knowledge that he experiences no difficulty in the ascent. Here, then, the child's interest is awakened, and until that is done, the teacher labors in vain. We place before a child the ball, hoop, or sled. He seizes them, and they help to develop his physical energies. We are to deal with his intellectual faculties, and they, in like manner, demand but means and opportunity. Let us furnish these, and education will be natural. Eagerly as the child delights to play, his desire to acquire knowledge is no less eager. Then let the schoolroom present such attractions that he will prefer it above all other places. The committee to whom the petition asking to have the phonetic system tried in two schools was referred, say, of the phonetic schools, quote, the children seemed happy, and the teachers say they are much more fond of their books than children instructed in the common way are, unquote. Here, then, two very important facts are admitted. I might say the whole secret of a teacher's success lies in this. The happiness of the children and the fondness they evince for their studies. Unquote. And I'll end there. What this paragraph encapsulates is the ability for a teacher to inspire kids to just freely learn. And why this paragraph is so relevant is in part because of the horrific closures that we've seen in our schools. Since COVID-19 happened, or at least the shutdowns happened in March 2020, we've just seen so many steps backward on the ability for students of all different groups up and down uh, the country, whether it's on reading proficiency going down, writing proficiency going down, the inability for kids to even interact or socialize in robust manners, what has happened to our education system is disgraceful. And there have been, and there's understandably been so much anger towards school boards, towards state and local governments and the federal government, perhaps the amount of anger that has been profoundly spread throughout our school boards, 
I think is is because we have lost some of these ideals that have been in this paragraph. When we look at something about truthfulness, when we think that kids need to be told exactly what to do in every single step of the way, we've we've seen this in a lot of different cases, not just during COVID, it's certainly before. But what's interesting is that it basically shows that kids want to discover and learn. They want they need to socialize. They need to be around other kids. They need to try new things. What the shutdowns have done is that it has completely run completely the opposite of the inherent nature of kids. Look at how in this paragraph, Miss Baxter writes how you know you you just get a child to play with a ball or on a or play in the snow and with the sled or to really recognize saying the child delights to play his desire to acquire knowledge is no less eager when we see kids out in the playground wanting to play wanting to run around and scream and and just be kids by bringing that kind of curiosity by letting kids back into schools without these kinds of ridiculous mandates or you know these this whole conversation about vaccine mandates i'm not going to get into the whole that but separating the issues of the vaccines themselves the efficacy and the science and all that just separating that from the educational issue what we have done is that we have essentially gone against the inherent curious nature of our kids that is why parents have increasingly been vocal because they're the ones who see the effects of education. In fact, throughout this journal, I've I was actually pretty surprised. Now, even though this excerpt and many excerpts there are from uh, teachers from educators, there is surprising a lot of text about parents, which I never knew would actually would exist in literature like this. Now, this is more of a focus on changing public schools or how public schools are run, but you'd be surprised at how many times there would be a recognition that parents expect good moral judgment, moral character in our schools. When was the last time we saw a real recognition that there are kids not even learning how to say hello or greet adults? When was the last time that we had a real conversation about how the Usage of social media and of electronic devices extensively has hurt education, has hurt the ability for kids to socialize in person. We thought that what a band-aid solution would do to you know stop the spread of the coronavirus and to keep people safe, unfortunately, I think has done so much damage because we've not only lengthened the digital nature of quote-unquote, education, but we have essentially tried to substitute something and we didn't have a better solution for it. We have kept kids completely glued to screens and not even being able to physically look up from their devices. In the wake of all this conversation, all this discussion about school closures and the effects that it's having on our communities, I've briefly read a passage somewhere in this journal, it was obviously clearly not about school closures or about COVID or anything, but it did say how you know, these compound effects of 
limited education are going to spread so far wide. It's It certainly has to be about individual kids, but imagine the multiplier effect that school closures are going to have on multiple generations. In fact, on this in this paragraph, it kind of alludes to what happens when kids are not allowed to discover and be curious by themselves. I hear so often that teacher unions want more protection for teachers and uh, masks and vaccines and all that. But what about the teachers who actually need to spend that time and energy teaching kids and realizing that they can't teach them because they're not interacting with other kids? What about those teachers? What about those people, the parents who every single day need to take care of their children? They have put the trust in schools. And what we've seen, it was that we've seen far too much of school boards basically pitting against parents when in fact we need to have more collaboration between parents and teachers than ever before. Possibly one of the most stunning political developments in education policy, at least in recent decades, has been the 2022 uh, San Francisco School Board recall elections, where in a city that voted 85% Democrat, parents, families, and voters across different political views overwhelmingly rejected the false allegations from the three board members, Allison Collins, Gabriel Lopez, and Fawuga Maliga, by margins of up from 69% to 76% voting yes to recall these members. As someone who was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, I can tell you that this is just monumental. It's huge. When you've got people who have said that renaming schools are, is somehow a priority when kids are learning remotely, or I say learning, that's in huge, huge air quotes, that prompts a huge, huge backlash. When you've got a school called Lowell, which I know quite well, I've been to Lowell's high school many times, never attended that school, but I know people who attended that school, that school is, it's like the Harvard of public schools in San Francisco. At least that's how I knew it. A lot of people knew it. And for them, for those members to propose stripping away the merit-based admissions and for a lottery system is atrocious. It's ridiculous how a school of that caliber with a lot of smart people in it, how their hard work and intelligence has to give in to some kind of diversity initiative. It's really astounding. And I call for people to get closer to those values that were espoused in that paragraph that I read not too long ago. For people to be able to allow kids to be kids. You know, I was at a local park just a few weeks ago. And I'm shooting hoops. It's it's a small park, but on the side there is a small school. It's I guess it's like a more of a daycare center slash school. And I was just doing mine my own business and 
all of a sudden it's recess and I'm sharing half of the court with these kids. And it was great. I mean, but the big thing I saw was that these kids just running around, you know, being kids the way they are, you know, they were screaming, they were laughing, they were uh, having their like their little rules based kind of system of playing ball. What, what was so fascinating was how I knew that in a place like San Francisco or in the in the Bay Area, wherever we had these shutdowns, and especially in these big cities of like Chicago, New York, uh, L.A., to see those kids running around and get just being themselves. What's weird was that that was a relief, even though that's normal. And I hope that the recall election and the paragraph that I just read will, at the very minimum, push back against these closures. I hope that we will never, ever have to close a school the way we have done over the past two years. The way that school boards, the way that unions, public unions especially, of various different governments have approached this idea of education is, I hope that all that can start to crumble. The ability for parents to now be more involved in their kids' education, I think, is a blessing in disguise. While the times of Horace Mann and the Common School Journal were certainly in the past and many, many decades ago, but it's remarkable how people can speak that way then, but can have those same kind of values or same kind of principles echoed in 2022 and beyond. We hope that people can be more involved. We've always said on this program that it's important for people to get involved in local issues. And school boards are, I think, an opening that has always existed, but hadn't existed in the civic consciousness as of late. But in recent years, that has changed. And I think it's going to be good for for federalism, for the ability to get people more involved and more actively engaged in local issues instead of what happens in Washington, D.C., which you know, it could be right across the Potomac River if you live in Alexandria, uh, or it could be just thousands and thousands of miles away if you're living in Nome, Alaska. But no, regardless, there's one commonality between Alexandria, Virginia, and Nome, Alaska, and that is local school board decisions and the composition of those school boards affect every single child and should affect every single parent. And the, the ability for parents to be involved in how kids grow up, in the kind of environment that they want their kids to be in, they want their kids to have good moral character, have good moral judgment. We have to have more conversations and more discussions on how school boards, parents, teachers, and all those involved can reshape our education and hopefully be able to deliver schooling and education that is not only applicable to society or I guess just the ability to survive, but I think hopefully it'll also be good for the pursuit of knowledge and of curiosity 
and of more intellectual experience and discovery that we never could have imagined before. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to subscribe to our email list if you haven't already. Enjoy the rest of your day and rest of your week. And remember, a day in America is always better with our friends and fellow citizens.